there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, I want to begin today uh, by reminiscing a little bit. Uh, I was thinking last week, the last couple of weeks, about my time here at Elevate Christian Church. And it dawned on me that I have actually been on staff here. I started as a part-time youth minister from birth through college. Uh, I've been on staff for 21 years. So other than just making me feel old, um, I, I just started thinking, and here's what's funny. Before I was employed by this church, I just attended this church. Uh, it used to be called East Paulding Christian Church. Uh, most of our, what I would call old timers, and I don't mean that old timers as in they're old and about to die, but have been around for a while, are at the nine o'clock service. But uh, I, those of you who remember back 20, 24 years ago, uh, I was the guy, I started going to church here, and somebody, I was in my late 20s, I was single, and somebody had found out in the church that I had a degree from a Bible college. And so I would, here's what I would do, I was the guy who would come to church after like the second song. So I didn't really want to talk to anybody. So I would come in and we were in this little building out front, little brick building. There was nothing. Hiram was a spot on the map. We had a Walmart and a Kmart. That was about it. And I would, uh, I would sneak into church. I would sit on the back row and then they would have the invitation song. After the invitation song, they, they, the preacher would always have like a closing prayer. I would leave during that closing prayer. So I'd come late and I left early because I didn't want to talk to anybody. Now, here's why. Because I, I knew that people knew that I had graduated from Bible college. And my greatest fear was this, that they were going to look at me and say, oh, here's a young single guy who, who, who has a Bible college degree we should get him to start a singles ministry. And I don't want any part of that. I'm not a big fan of churches having singles ministries, and I can explain to you why later. And so I lived in that fear. I don't know if many of you or most of you know one of our elders. His name is Greg Noble. Uh, Greg is an old timer. He was, he was one of the uh, guys that was, uh, he was a deacon when I started working here. So I'm at church. I come in late. I leave early and I'm just about to my truck. And I hear in the parking lot, Kevin, and it's Greg Noble. And Greg start, he we dressed up a little more back then. So Greg had like loafers on and Oxford shirt. And he comes sprinting across the parking lot and he has this stack of flyers in his hand. And he said, Oh, I'm so glad I caught up to you. I just wanted to invite you to join our singles ministry. And he hands me this paper, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And I went to I went to one meeting, and that was enough for me. Um, my whole point on this is if you know Greg Noble you know you cannot outrun him. 
right? So those of you who have been recruited to volunteer, you understand what I'm saying. He will not go away. There, is, there are people in this world you can outrun, but you cannot outrun Greg Noble. Well, there's this other thing in life that you and I will never be able to outrun, and that is our death. I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm going to give you a quick news flash. You're going to die. All of us are going to die. Every hour of every day, of every month, of every year, people die. In 2021 alone, the CDC reports that in America, 3.5 million people died last year. 65 million people died worldwide. Now, those of us who are sitting here right now, we may have survived 2021, but rest assured, death is coming for all of us. Statistically speaking, unless Jesus returns, death is going to have a 100% success rate with everybody in this room, whether you're 88 or you're eight months old. It's all coming for us. And the Bible tells us as much, right? 1 Corinthians 15 says, verse 22, for as in Adam all die. We are all going to have a physical death. It's the wages of sin on, on our bodies. Hebrews 9, 27 says, and just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So death is going to catch us all. You can't outrun it. You can't outthink it. You can only hope to elude it as long as possible. And I want you to think about this. People spend their entire lives running from death. They, they, they either try to seize the day and make the most out of it. We only get so many days and I'm going to just pack as much as I can. I'm not going to waste time. I'm going to seize the day. Or we just try not to think about it. And that's why you have your radio on in your car and you fall asleep with your TV on because you want to drown out those, those sobering thoughts. And or, so we, we either try to seize the day or we stay ahead of it. We try to eat right. We try to exercise all those things. But eventually, death ends up on our doorstep. Do you know what the number one fear of Americans is? Public speaking. That's the number one fear, public speaking. And I, I do it for a living, and I can attest to it. It is a nerve-wracking thing. Twenty-some uh, years in, I'm still as nervous as I was day one, every time I get up here. Public fear is the number one. 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 Speaking is the number one fear amongst Americans. So think about this. More people would rather die than get up here and speak in, in front of people. It prompted the comedian Jerry Seinfeld to say, this means to the average person, if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than doing the eulogy itself. You know what the number two fear of Americans is? Death. Death. So number one's public speaking. Number two is death. Now, here's what I would submit to you. I think that's just on paper, right? Because if somebody held a gun to your head, and brought you out on this stage and gave you my notes and said, read this or die, nine times out of ten, most people are going to open their mouth and they're going to speak. So death, excuse me, so death, I believe, is probably the most scary thing that all of us face. And death is scary. 
Even for the Christian, it can be scary because it's unknown. There are two things that I fear in, in this life. Number one is death, and number two is clowns. I, you know me, I hate clowns. And if, so if you have death, if you have a deadly clown, like on that silly movie with Stephen King, yeah, I, I'm not going to watch that. I hate clowns. Which reminds me, did you know that it is illegal? I didn't know this. It's illegal to cremate a clown. It's because they burn funny. <laughs> all right, all right. I've got one more bad joke. I'm going to save it for the end. Um, so to, to open up this series on death, uh, I want to begin, and let me just tell you right out of the gate, we're going to scratch the surface today. We're going to spend the entire month of October talking in detail about death and dying and, and all that it entails. But I want to begin this morning by answering the question, why is death so scary? Like, why, am I, why do I get these feelings when I think about dying? Why does it conjure up so much fear in my heart? You see, it's the fear of death <laughs> that compels us to choke down kale smoothies. Why else would you eat kale unless you're trying to live longer? It's the fear of, of death that has us running endlessly like a hamster on a treadmill. It's the fear of death that causes us to obsess over every gray hair, over every wrinkle, over every ache and every pain. Oh, it's the big one. I'm coming home, right? It's that fear and we obsess over it because the fear of death is powerful. I mean, I want you to think about this logically. The fear of death shut our world down for an entire year. It just shut everything down. There's an imminent fear of dying. Now, psychologists will tell you that the extreme fear of death is referred to as phantophobia, and it's taken from the Greek word phantos, which is the god of death. And phobos is where we get our word phobia, so thantophobia. And so what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes this morning, and I just want to dive and drill down into that question, why is death so scary? Why am I so afraid to die? Now, I'm going to give you three reasons why I think death is so scary, but these aren't the only three, but I think these are the, the main three. So I'm going to jump in. Why is death so scary? Number one, Death is so scary because we don't confront death. We just try to avoid it. We don't confront it. We, we, we want to avoid it at all costs. I'm, let me give you a news flash. Death is our enemy. And death is a bully. It will bully you around. Death wants you to be afraid. It, because if you're afraid, it has power over you. I learned a long time ago out of necessity, that if you don't confront a bully, you're going to live in fear for the rest of your life. So I haven't always been this fit, beautiful male specimen that I am today. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in elementary school, man, I, I was like almost emaciated. I was a skinny, scrawny, pasty, white, like blonde hair, blue eyed, this little stick figure kid. And the net result, and I had little to no self-esteem at all. The net result was, man, I got bullied a lot. And in, in, in elementary school, I remember it so vividly. Uh, I had this one guy, it was between fourth and fifth grade. Those two years of my life were, were, uh, were basically a hell on earth for me. I, it had always happened on the bus or at the bus stop. 
So what I would do is I would hide across the street in the bushes until I heard the bus pull up in the morning. And then I would run across the street and I would jump on the bus at the last minute because I didn't want to get beat up or have my lunch money or stuff stolen by this guy named Ronnie. And then on the way home, I would, like all the cool kids and the older elementary school kids sat in the back of the bus and kind of all the little kindergartners and first graders sat up front. I would sit up front and I would try to get the very front seat because when the bus door opened, I wanted to get off and I wanted to sprint because I didn't want my stuff stolen. I wanted to get beat up. And so this was kind of my life, all, you know, every day going to school, just living in fear, just in constant fear of, of this bully that I would, was afraid to confront. Well, what happened one, one, one weekend, uh, I got to go visit my dad. My parents divorced when I was uh, just a baby and I didn't see my father a lot. He was a truck driver. And he, I'll never forget, he bought me this little die-cast tractor-trailer truck, uh, like White House, applesauce, and apple juice. That's my hometown is where that's from. And this thing was so intricate and so beautiful. And we had a show and tell on Mondays. You bring something from the weekend. So I brought this truck in. And at lunchtime, Ronnie told me, when you get off the bus, you're going to give me that truck or I'm going to take it from you, one way or the other. And so the rest of the day, I was just, just so nervous. And so I said, well, I'm going to do what I always do. I'll get on the bus first and I'll just run. Uh, well, I got on the bus and guess who's sitting in the very front seat? Ronnie. And so I walked to the back and the whole bus ride, I'm about to like vomit. I'm just so nervous. And I get off the bus and there he stands and the bus, pull, the bus driver pulls off and a uh, bunch of kids are around and he does what kids do. He takes his jacket off, right, and starts like stretching and, you know, like he's about ready to to either take my truck or beat me up. And he said, so I told you, you're either going to give it to me or I'm going to take it from you. Well, something in me snapped. I just was so sick and tired of living in fear and just being bullied. So I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember putting that truck on the ground and saying, if you want it, you come and get it. No one had ever stood up to him before. And come and get it, he did. He took off running towards me, and I, I may, have, may have went to the bathroom in my pants. I don't even know, right? It was, I was so terrified. And he spear-tackled me, so he threw his head down to tackle me. Well, as fate would have it, his head went on this side, and I just threw my elbow, and we both fell backwards on the sidewalk. And we skidded about that far on his forehead, and so... He skids on the sidewalk on, the, on his forehead, and then I just automatically turn, and I'm on top of him. He's bleeding profusely from his forehead, but I just saw, I didn't see the red blood. I just saw red blood. I just saw red Christmas story where Ralphie is just beating Scott Fargus to a pulp. That was me. And, you know, I was probably saying things that Ralphie was saying, sassafrasa, you know, and I was just beating, a, beating him senseless. Don't feel sorry for him, by the way. He was a terrible bully. Somebody pulled me off of him, and I got into a lot of trouble. But I want to tell you something. That night, I slept like a baby. That morning, I had my chest out, and I walked on that bus and I was like, you want, uh, you want some? Like nobody bothered me anymore because I was willing to confront the bully. We have a habit of avoiding things like death that make us uncomfortable. 
but the avoidance make those things loom even larger in our minds. Something interesting, they did a study with uh, funeral directors, and they found that those who had directed, those who were seasoned funeral directors, were feared death much less than those who were just beginning out as funeral directors. They did the same study amongst doctors, and doctors with years of experience and more exposure to death uh, were less afraid of death because they had confronted death time and time again. I love the Apostle Paul, and one of the reasons I love the Apostle Paul is he was somewhat confrontational. He wasn't afraid to confront people in church. He wasn't afraid to confront enemies, false prophets, heretics, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, religious leaders, Rome itself. But Paul also was not afraid to confront death. He didn't avoid the subject like so many people do. He tackled it head on. He confronted it. He talked about it. He even talked to it. In the Bible, he writes about death a lot. I want to direct your attention to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is, let me tell you this, the, the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection of the dead, about our bodies being resurrected. But he's almost arrogantly confronting and challenging death in verse 55, where we're going to pick up. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Old death, where is your victory? Old death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. So he's asking the question, where's your sting? What, what power do you have over me, death? Like you've, you're like a defeated bully. What can you do to hurt me? I, I always liked this illustration when I was in the, in the youth ministry. And you, you, you may have heard it before. It's on this passage of scripture. And it kind of goes like this. Uh, a dad is in the car driving with his daughter in the back seat. His daughter is deathly allergic to bees. If she gets stung, it's just not a matter of if her throat's going to close up. It's just, it's going to win. And so he's driving and a bee flies in the car and it's kind of buzzing around and she is wigging out and he traps the bee against the window and he slowly pulls off to the road and stops the car and she's breathing easy and then he removes his hand and the bee starts flying around again and she is freaking out. She's panicking. She says, Dad, this bee's going to sting me. If it stings me, I'm going to die. And he just simply said, look at my hand, sweetie. And he showed the daughter his hand when he had trapped the bee against the window. The bee had stung him in the hand. And he said, listen, the, the bee only has one stinger. And it's in my hand, so it's just a nuisance now. It's just going to fly around and buzz. It cannot hurt you. And this is essentially what Paul is saying. Because of Jesus Christ, the sting of death is gone. Paul knew this, and he wasn't afraid to confront death. Look how he ends it, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us victory. Paul's right there. The victory he's talking about is in the context is victory over death, victory over dying, victory over never breathing on earth again. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this because it reminds us that Christians have victory in death and over death. Why? Because of the victory of Jesus Christ and his own resurrection. Remember what Jesus promised us in John 14, 19? Like every time you get a little 
weird and afraid about death, go to John 14, 19. Because this is a promise from Jesus. Here's what he says. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Here's what he's saying to his disciples. I'm going to die. I'm leaving. I'm going to heaven. The world's not going to see me anymore. But you will see me because I live, you also live. See, we don't have to be bullied around by death anymore. Jesus just told us that if we're in him, if we are saved, we will live. That's reason number one, we're afraid of death. Reason number two is, and this even happens amongst Christians, is that we're afraid of death because many of us view death as the end, right? It's the end. We oftentimes view it like, hey, I'm dead. I'm not breathing. My heart is no longer beating. My brain waves have ceased. I, I, I can't think or feel or be sad or happy. I'm dead and gone. I'm gone from my family. I'm gone from my friends. I'm gone from my church. I'm gone from my workplace. I'm gone. Game over. But death is not the end. Friends, death was never in God's plan. This is not how this is supposed to play out. I want you to think about it. We were created in the image of God. That doesn't mean our fingers and toes and our nose. It means we were eternal. We're made to live forever. But what happens is we sinned and we got trapped in the flesh ourselves. But death and dying, this is not how it's supposed to be. I was reading an article by uh, David Platt, who's a, a brilliant writer, um, and, and I want to make a point that, that he makes in the article kind of about death not being uh, the, the end. I'm going to take you to Genesis 5 in just a second. But bef before we land in Genesis 5, I want you to think about Genesis chapter 3. We talk about Genesis chapter 3 a lot here at this church because it's a very pivotal chapter in the Bible. It's because it's the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve. All right? And when we talk about Adam and Eve, we, we focus on the curse like we focus on the fact that God tells Adam, all right, now you're going to have to cultivate the land. You're going to sweat. And you're going to have thorns and thistles and you're going to bleed. And we focus on Eve. And now I'm going to greatly increase your, it's going to hurt when you give birth to children. And we focus on the serpent when God says, I will, I'm going to crush your head. You'll bruise the heel of, of, of the Messiah of Jesus, but he's going to crush your head. And we focus on that, but we forget one of the last things that God says to Adam and Eve. He says, and surely you will die. That lands us in Genesis chapter 5. And Genesis chapter 5 should be a sober reminder to us. I'm going to pick up in verse 5. Thus, all the days of Adam, the original man, lived were 930 years. Now don't miss this last part because this is the money phrase. And he died. Friends, this verse is not the way it's supposed to be. God created Adam and Eve to experience life forever with him. And when we see the words Genesis 5:5, Adam lived so many years and then he died. And this is the refrain that goes on throughout the rest of the chapter. I just want to sample it to show you real quick. Genesis 5:8. Thus were all the days of Seth were 912 years, and say it with me, and he died. Genesis 5, 11, thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, 
and he died. Genesis 5.14, thus were all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Verse 17, thus were all the days of a man who none of us can pronounce his name were 895 years, and he died. Verse 20, thus were the days of Jared 962 years, and he died. Just name after name of people who died. Why? Because that is the result of sin in a fallen world. Man, I think about this pandemic that we've gone through. We've watched unfold and the hundreds of thousands of people around the world who have died. And all I can think is, man, this is not how it's supposed to be. I've done funerals for little tiny babies in this church and had to look their parents in the eye. And all I can think is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I think about my own life and the people that I have loved and watched died. And I'm guessing you've experienced the same in your life. And I can't help but think, man, this is not how it's supposed to go down. I think about the two Cobb County police officers who were shot down in cold blood and and killed. They both had wives and young children cut down in the prime of their lives. And all I can think about is this is not how it's supposed to be. Friends, the beauty of the gospel is that through Jesus Christ, because of God's love for us, the end of our story is not, and he died, and he died, and she died, and she died, period, 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 period. No, that's not our story. Our story is he died and now he lives. She died and now she lives. John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die. Even though he dies, he will live. God has taken the very worst thing that can happen to you, death, and actually turned it around into the very best thing that can happen to you, eternal life in his presence. Listen, death is not the death was not the end of Jesus's story, and if you're in Jesus, death is not the end of our story. As one preacher said, death to the Christian is the funeral of all his sorrows and evils and the resurrection of all his joys. So we are afraid of death because we don't confront it or we think it's the end. And then number 3, we fear death because we are afraid of the wrong thing. We're afraid of the wrong thing, man. Many people, I do a lot of counseling on this, live their life in this paralyzing fear of death. Not just death of yourself, but death of your loved ones. It has you so consumed that you're not really living. It robbing, 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 it robbing. End of quote. And what did Jesus say? I've come to give you life and give it to the full measure abundantly. Death is nothing to be feared by God's children. You see, but we've been lied to. Because the enemy's a liar, the devil's a liar, 
And death is a liar. It wants us to be afraid. We've been conditioned to be afraid of the wrong thing. It's a liar. Speaking of liars, I told you I was going to tell you another bad joke. <clears throat> Speaking of liars, I heard this story about this old woman, older woman, who was pulled over by a police officer for speeding. The cop comes up to her car and she says, is there a problem, officer? And the, and the officer says, yes, ma'am, you were speeding. She said, oh, I, I see. He said, well, can I have your driver's license, please? And the woman said, well, I'd love to give you my driver's license, but I don't have one. He said, you don't have one? She said, no, I lost it four years ago. From, I was drunk driving. I lost it. He said, oh, I see. Hmm. Well, can I see your vehicle registration, please? The woman said, no, I can't do that. He said, well, why not? She said, well, I stole the car. You stole it? The woman said, yep. And I killed and hacked up the owner. He said, you what? He said, yeah, his body parts are in a bunch of gallon-sized Ziploc baggies in my bag, all cut up. So this officer slowly moves away from the car, and he radios for help. And within minutes, five other cop cars surround him. And the most senior officer gets out and slowly approaches the car where the woman's sitting. He's got his hand on his gun, and he, he walks up to her. And he says, ma'am, could you step out of the vehicle, please? And the woman steps out of the vehicle and she says, is there a problem, officer? And he said, yeah, well, one of my officers told me that you've stolen this car and you've murdered the owner. And the woman said, murdered the owner? Yes, could you please open the trunk? And the woman opens the trunk and there's nothing but an empty trunk. The officer scratches his head and says, is, is this your car? And she says, yeah, here's my registration papers. And now he's quite stunned and he said, well, one of my officers claims that you don't even have a driver's license. And she fumbles around in her purse, and she hands him the license. And he looks very puzzled. And he says, well, thank you, man, but I don't get this. One of my officers told me that you didn't have a license, that you stole this car, and that you murdered and hacked up the owner. And the old woman went, yeah, I bet you he told you I was speeding, too. <laughs> okay, bad joke. Death... <laughs> is a liar. You don't have to fear death. If you are obsessively fearing death as a child of God, you're fearing the wrong thing. I want to show you the words of Jesus. These are red letter words. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's describing what the Old Testament calls the fear of the Lord. You ever heard that phrase, the fear of the Lord? This is not intended to be an abject terror or a panic. Rather, it's a healthy kind of fear for which a soldier might have for his weapon or a cook might have for the, the, the flame that she cooks on. See, godly fear involves great and profound respect. And at the same time, it demands that we acknowledge that God has the right and the power to utterly destroy those who are against him. This is a right and a proper fear. The death of the body 
is not the ultimate loss. The death of the body and soul together in hell, that is the ultimate loss. And we're going to tackle that subject next week. See, all men can do, all women can do is kill your body. And if they do, you'll go home to be with the Lord. But God is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Now, I've got great news for you. Simply put, if you're a child of God, I've got great news. God never condemns his own children, ever. Look at John 5, 24. This is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's a great concept, but look what he says next. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, the person who fears God alone never has to fear any other person or any other groups of people. Let me say it to you this way, and, and, and this may not make sense to you, but it makes a lot of sense to me. The fear of God is the fear that cancels all other fears. Let me say it again, but I'll add to it. The fear of God is the fear that cancels all other fears, including and especially the fear of death. Because we don't pass from death into death or death into the abyss. As children of God, we pass from death to life. I want to conclude by sharing a parable with you. It's not a biblical parable. It's very old, but I think it's beautiful, and it makes the point that I want to conclude with uh, this, this morning. Once upon a time, there were twin boys, and they were conceived in the womb. And seconds and minutes and hours passed, and their lives developed the spark of life. They grew their tiny brains, and they began to take shape and form, and they began to develop perception. And with perception, they developed a perception of their surroundings, of each other, of their own lives. And they discovered that life inside their mother's womb was good. And they laughed, and they had joy, and they rejoiced in their hearts. What a wonderful place to live. We're so lucky to, be in, to have been conceived and have this wonderful world. The other twin chimed in, yes, blessed be our mother who gave us life and gave us each other. Well, as the twins continued to grow, fingers and toes and legs, they stretched their bodies and they turned and they began to explore their little world. And they found this cord, they called it the life cord. And they discovered that it was life from their mother's blood. And they sang a song, how great is the love of our mother that she shares all that she has with us. Weeks passed into months. And in the advent of each new month, they noticed a change in each other. And they noticed a change in themselves. One brother said, we're changing. What does this mean? And the other brother said, it means we're drawing near to our birth. An unsettling chill crept over both of them. They were afraid of birth, for they knew that it meant leaving the wonderful world that they, they knew behind. One said, if it were up to me, I'd live here forever. I'd never want to be born. The other one said, but we must be born. It's happened to, 
to everyone else. We have to go through it. The other one said, no, I don't want to. I don't believe. How can there be life after birth? Like we're going to shed our, our life cord. And, and you talk about our mother. Has anyone seen our mother? Has anyone talked to our mother? Has anyone heard our mother's voice? Has anyone re-entered the womb had been, been, who had been born to describe what it's like? No, I, this is senseless. This life cord has always been here. There is no mother. I want to stay here. But the other protested, there is a mother. Who else gives us nourishment? Who else created this world for us? No, no, no. We get this nourishment from the cord. The world has always been here. So one lived in devastating fear. And the other brother lived in eternal hope. Well, the day arrived for their birth. They knew it was at hand and they both feared it because they didn't know what was going to happen. And as the first one to be conceived, so was the first to be born, and then the following. And they cried as they were born into the light. And they coughed out fluid and they gasped for dry air. And when they were sure, they were both sure that they had been born, they opened their eyes, seeing life after birth for the very first time. And what they saw was the beautiful eyes of their mother. They were cradled lovingly in her arms, and they knew that they were home. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it's not going to come up on the screen, but Paul, here's what Paul says. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. See, our physical death is not a death at all. It's a birth into eternal life. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.